0: Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Church Online. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about the actionable practice of living generously like Jesus. So, money. Money tends to be one of the more oppressive realities of the culture that we live in. It is also one of the most uncomfortable topics to discuss, especially in church for many people Let me say here at the beginning, money is not a bad thing. Money is neutral. It's actually our response to money that is the thing that causes problems. Uh, As far as following uh, Jesus is concerned, Jesus brought up money all the time. More than heaven and hell combined, Jesus talked about money. Jesus even talked about money more than faith and prayer combined. One in every seven verses in Luke is about money, and 11 of the 39 parables have the theme of money. Seriously, about 25% of all Jesus' teachings in the Gospels relates to money and the resources that God has given us. So there's a direct correlation between money and our faith in God, or presumably Jesus wouldn't keep bringing it up. But I have to ask, why do we get so offended when others talk about money, especially in church? Maybe we should get over it and deal with our uncomfortableness because Jesus himself didn't have a problem talking about money. So here's the deal when it comes to money and practicing the way of Jesus. There is no such thing as discipleship that doesn't include some kind of practical teaching on money and generosity. Webster's Dictionary defines generosity as readiness or liberality in giving, open-handedness. You can't be Christ-like with your hands closed. And the often quoted verse on this topic is 1 Timothy 6.10, which says, For money is the root of all kinds of evil. Or does it say that? Actually, what it says is, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So what it says there is, it's the motivation that can become the root of evil. There is this constant undercurrent attempting to convince us that we need more money and more things. And this is played out daily through commercials and billboards and even in our relationships. And the problem with all this is the toll it takes on us. Here's just a snapshot into uh, the level in which money kind of has a hold on us. The total amount of credit card debt in America this year in 2022 is $841 billion dollars which is bad, but it's better than it was during the last quarter of 2021 when the number was $856 I predict it'll go up by the end of this year. We go into debt for a lot of reasons, maybe out of necessity, oftentimes simply because we desire something we can't afford or an experience we want. But the reality is, is that debt is a form of imprisonment. I love the Swedish proverb that says, he who buys what he does not need steals from himself. When it comes to our relationship with God, here's how this affects us. Our imprisonment to money can become one of our greatest obstacles to our faith. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And Jesus doesn't hold back when he says that either. He says the options are to love one and despise the other. Well, he goes further and explains it a little bit more in Luke 12, 34. He has this famous phrase that most of you know, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the difficulty we often have is that while we're professing one thing, uh, we're living as though something else is true. And what that boils down to is an issue of trust. Do you trust money for your value, your safety, your security, and your peace, or do you trust God? Because that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also is a statement of what or who is the Lord of your life. Is it God or is it money? And that's why Jesus gives us the story later on in Luke 12 of the rich fool, the parable of the rich fool who saves up all this stuff and money and keeps building in order to hoard more for himself so that his safety and happiness are secure, which means usually somebody else's safety and security is not there. His soul focuses himself. He stewards all of the resources that he thinks are his into a project that only focuses on one benefactor, himself. And that's a lesson for us because money has an effect on us. We think it is our decision where our money goes. How we choose to spend it is our business. And Jesus is reminding us here that everything is his and he has simply entrusted us with it. Everything is his. What's ours is his and what's his is ours. Shane Claiborne, in his book, Irresistible Revolution, he talked about a time when he was in Calcutta, India, working with a bunch of people who literally had nothing. One day, he gives this kid some ice cream. And I don't think we can really understand how big of a deal that would have been to this kid. It was probably the only time he would taste anything like this. You would think he'd go, I'm only going to get this once, I'm going to keep this to myself. But what the kid did was run back and share it with his family and his friends. And Shane was astounded by this. This boy recognized that he'd been given a gift and the gift was best enjoyed by allowing others to enjoy it with him. Randy Alcorn says it this way Our stewardship of our money and possessions becomes the story of our lives. And the word stewardship is talking about our ability to manage or supervise. And in this case, we're talking about money. I wonder what our life stories would say. Would they tell stories? of loving God or loving money. The word steward means something, it means someone who manages another's financial affairs. If I'm the steward of someone else's finances and stuff, then do I actually own it? No, I'm just just managing it. I don't own any of it. And that's really important for us to understand. And what's also important to understand is the difference between the statements I have to and I get to. Because it's not we have to be stewards if we're Christians, it's We get to be stewards. This mindset of the followers of the way of Jesus that Jesus deeply desires for us to understand is this. God does not give us things to have. He gives us things so that we can take care of ourselves. He wants good things for us. But the further expectation for those following Jesus is that we make the lives of others around us better as well. And this is something you have to learn, and the only way you'll learn it is by doing it. Like I said before, it's a question of trust. Who do you trust? It's a whole culture and lifestyle of change for some people. Sometimes conversations about God and money feel like God is angry with us, but the reality is is He's freeing us from the, the prison of spending and stuff, and He's relieving us from the world's expectations that we're meant to be consumers. 1 Timothy 6, uh, 17 through 19 says, is unstable. It brings great joy to some, but also great heartache to others. So Paul says, put your trust in God who can give you everything and be generous because generosity brings true life both to you and to others. And the opposite of that is this, a lack of generosity doesn't allow us to truly live. In other words, if you've got debt and financial strain, it's likely that you're, you're, you're missing out on life. When there's that kind of pressure, you end up not giving because you feel like you can't be generous. And that actually prevents true life for you, and it prevents true life for others. Giving is an invitation to truly live in step with God's way of doing things. And I know some of you right now are like, whatever, (laughs) I don't even have enough money to give regardless of what it gives me back or gives others. And what this goes back to is trusting God instead of ourselves, because God owns everything but in the past, we chose to trust in things money can provide instead of God, and there's, but there's a new future. To get out of the mess, are we going to trust ourselves, the ones who got us into this mess in the first place, if we're in debt? That doesn't seem very wise either. But I will say this, it's a journey, and like any journey, it starts with the first step. And so the first step is to give back and return an initial gift to God in a way that is identifiable, And accountable. And this step is about proclaiming that our trust is found in God and not in the size of our bank account. And why? Why is it important to give in a way that is identifiable and accountable? Well, some of you might say, doesn't the Bible say to give anonymously? And what you're referring to is what Jesus says about giving in secret. And there are times for that, sure. In the context of that teaching, Jesus is talking about giving specifically to the poor like almsgiving on the street corner someone's begging for something and he's saying in a way when you do that it draws attention to the giver that that person that person who's giving receives all the accolades and attention and and maybe a potentially a feeling of superiority but you can also give in an identifiable and accountable way without announcing it with trumpets and fanfare so that you receive the glory instead of god and we know that the apostles we're very aware of what the early followers of Jesus were giving for the ministries of the church from what we see in Acts. We see specifically in Acts 5 with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. In other words, sometimes giving anonymously leads to other issues. Like, for example, maybe you don't really want to know how much you give yourself or how little you give. Maybe you're afraid whatever the number is it won't match the amount of faith you're trying to live with the rest of your life. So by giving something that's identifiable, what you're saying is, I want to grow in my faith and I want to begin to place more of my trust in God rather than in money. There are other examples of public giving uh, in the scriptures, though, like in Matthew 6, or Mark 14, 3 through 9. You can even make a solid case that Paul actually encourages healthy competition when it comes to giving in, 2nd, in 2 Corinthians 9. And obviously what we can see from Acts 5 Is that the early church took giving and generosity very seriously because it can help the community immensely or it can hurt and hinder it immensely. So along these lines, right before Acts 5, we read in Acts 4 uh, verses 34 and 35 that the church laid their tithes at the feet of the apostles and that is where the second step of tithing comes in for you and me, for those of us who are following the way of Jesus in this practice of generosity. Remember, the first step in the journey is giving something identifiable. And, and the second thing is giving a full tithe, which means a tenth. And there are a lot of scriptures about this in the Old Testament, like Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. That says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And there's also negative examples where God's people were trying to give a tithe from their leftovers, kind of trying to be sneaky. Well, this is the next level, the next step, because it contains a couple of difficult truths, which are these. If we're not tithing, we're robbing. And if we're robbing God, then the text says these people who were doing that, they're under a curse. In other words, they, they're, the opposite of a curse is blessing. So they're not being blessed by God. The text asks, uh, asks us to test God in this, but it also basically says something that we know to be true, which is partial obedience is still disobedience. Now, I know some of you are like, tithing was an Old Testament thing. It's not New Testament. But the fact is that if we want to be like Jesus, he basically ups the ante when it comes to tithing. He calls for a full recognition that everything we have belongs to God, which goes back to that stewardship principle. If Jesus highlights the story in Luke 21 of the widow giving two pennies, two copper coins out of her poverty, as a more generous person in line with God's kingdom way of life than a rich person giving kind of the appropriate portion, then what does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus wants us to put our money where our mouth is, walk the walk when it comes to money and faith. But also, I think it's clear that Jesus was pro-tithe, which may come as a surprise to to some of you. We just don't often want to examine the text of the scripture carefully enough to see it. But Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And that's where we check out. The text here is actually quite clear. If we care to really read it for what it says, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and their legalistic ways, including tithing. A lot of people get mixed up when we hear the words former and latter, like that text just said. When we hear former and latter, we, are, we hear that phrase. We're forced to think. We're forced to actually go back and reread what we just read. What does former refer to? And what does latter refer to? Well, former refers to something that is first in the order of the two things. And latter refers to something that is second or last in a group of, of things. So in this case, latter refers to justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And former refers to giving a 10th or a tithe. So this is what this says. You should have practiced justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting tithing. Without neglecting tithing equals keep tithing. And make sure beyond that that you don't check out or compartmentalize yourself away from doing justice and mercy and faithfulness. So we often just emphasize that the Pharisees were forgetting those things. But Jesus says, don't forget those. That's what you've been forgetting. And keep tithing, but not as some uh, just legalistic routine. So here's the summary in case that was just a little too much for you. Jesus was pro tithe along with asking us to examine our hearts. What's our motive for giving? So for us as a church, When you give something identifiable and in an accountable way, that we we can then track giving patterns and we can plan budgets that are, number one, responsible, and number two, filled with opportunities for faith. And when you give a tithe, we can do this even more effectively and efficiently. But not only that, you are obeying Jesus' example and understanding of giving to God what is already His. You are being a faithful and trusting steward. There's a higher level, a third step after all this when it comes to this actionable practice uh, of giving and generosity. And it's just expounding on those two and figuring out ways to go above and beyond with your generosity. Pastor and author John Ortberg has a great perspective on this, on what happens when we give. And he says this, Each dollar I give away is no longer available for my protection, but my sense of freedom always increases. When I give, because giving is a declaration that my security rests someplace else other than the bank. Giving is an act of confidence in God. I love that. I mean, it's tough, but that's so important to understand. Giving is an act of confidence in God. And so, the invitation and the challenge for the actionable practice following the way of Jesus in generosity is this start giving identifiably if you're not giving at all or or you're just giving randomly. And if you are giving but not tithing, the challenge is to tithe. And that's the invitation. So if this is your church home, whether you're in a kinfolk group or you come come to in-person worship gatherings or you're part of our online or YouTube community, we encourage you to begin giving uh, and tithing in a way that's regular, identifiable, accountable if you're not already doing so. And we've made it really easy, incredibly easy to do this. I mean, you can, there's multiple ways. Head over to our website, westseattlechristian.gives. All the instructions uh, for giving are right there through check or online, through our digital app, through automatic bill pay, uh, which we love, by the way, because we're frugal and we like to avoid fees. Automatic bill pay avoids fees. And you can also text to give uh, by texting WSCC, that's 9722, to 888-364-GIVE. That's 888-364-4483. I want to leave you with this final uh, blessing. May you find that taking on the role of a steward is freeing and engaging and stimulating as you seek to partner with God in his agenda of making all things new. May you experience how this actionable practice of giving and living generously for Jesus is truly life-giving. May you declare with your whole life, including your finances, that you trust God completely and that you will find your confidence in him. I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.